VGRT Gaming Podcast, episode 643, recorded on March 16th, 2022. Welcome to the 643rd edition of the TD Gaming Podcast and 476th episode of Video Game Roundtable. I am TJ Denser. I am Scott Durr. And I am Jonah Falcon. The VGRT Gaming Podcast focuses on game news from around the industry. Yeah. So, um, this week was light and not light in that there was a ton of stuff, but nothing we could really go into depth with. So we're just going to have some quick news and then we'll have... Some full news. But before we do that, um, I'm pretty sure you've been playing Tunic, TJ. I have not had a chance to jump in yet. Wow. So the person most excited about Tunic is the one person who hasn't been playing it. I'm, I'm, I'm equally excited about this game as TJ. But haven't you started playing? You know, I got other things doing going wow. well. Um, so I'm the only person who even touched like Tunic. It's been a crazy week, actually. Um, but so, I did buy the game, and I'm just waiting to play it. Uh, okay, so um, very early on in the game, um, here's what you should know about Tunic. One, it's um, it t- it's it wants you to figure everything out because almost everything is in a foreign language, and by foreign I mean not any Earth language. It's just a lot of hieroglyphs, and you're supposed to figure out what those hieroglyphs mean. Um, and there's a Nintendo, an NES-style manual in-game that you have to put together uh, as you play. So basically... Kinda, I was going to say, that kind of reminds me of Mist, where you put the puzzles together from the atmosphere and the environment around you. Um, no, it reminds me more of that old EA game in which you were playing this uh, subterranean device, and the game came with no instructions, and you had to figure everything out by yourself, like the... The testing area is Australia, that sort of stuff, you know. Um, it's oh, it's like playing a uh, um, it's like playing a stop motion game, except everything's made of felt. Hmm. And the combat is very Zelda, but I don't know. I don't know if Zelda ever. Well, the first Zelda did make you have to figure things out for yourself, you know, like. Figure out where the dungeons are. Figure out how you could uh, remove trees and all that stuff. But in this game, it's all about secrets. Everywhere you go, there's secrets. Secret area, secret this, secret that, you know. You wouldn't believe how many uh, how many posts there have been of people trying to find out where the sword is. And a lot of the a lot of navigation is you see this thing over there, but how do you get to it? That's another thing. It's Everything's one big puzzle and one big secret, so a lot of it is exploration. And from what I understand, even if you complete the game, you'll still be playing because you just want to uncover all the secrets. Yeah, I definitely had that vibe when I was playing the demo, and I found two very strong bosses that I, I didn't seem to be able to, to face up to yet. Um, so it, it, it definitely does have that, have that air of mystery about it. Um, yeah, well, the mystery is part of the gameplay. I mean, like I said, it's in a for it's in a language that you don't understand. And as a matter of fact, everything about it you have to figure out on your own. You know, you wake up, you're on an island, 
Um, and then suddenly you are going to this, uh, I don't know what it is. It's like Twilight Zone. And you meet this. I actually this... have to pull out a notepad and take notes now. No, <laughs> no, well, that, that's just it. That everything is in game notes. You take in game notes. You don't actually have to have a pencil and paper. No, it takes the notes for you. And then you're, you meet this fox, this woman fox, and she's being apparently held by three gems. And you have to figure out how to turn off the free, three gems to, to save her. I'm not spoiling anything. This is just all from the first few minutes that I try and figure out. Like I said, this is sort of game. Uh, yeah, if you want a game to handhold you, this is not the game. <laughs> this is a uh, figure it out for yourself. Figure everything out for yourself. Figure how to play by yourself. Figure out the gameplay mechanics and all that. On some, it really handholds you because some of the game mechanics are not immediately obvious. But generally, it's yeah, go figure it out yourself. So, DJ, did you buy it, or, or are you waiting on it? or? I have other things I'm playing right now that I'm trying to get through before I start another new game up. Okay. Is it something you've uh, you've uh, embargoed? Oh, no, I can talk about what I've been playing. Okay, before you do, um, I've been playing XCOM 2 again. And you know what? I've been playing it on the Xbox because there's a sale. Um, XCOM 2 and everything everything that was ever released for it, Normally $99, they were selling it for $4.95. So I said, yeah, why not? Let me get some Xbox achievements instead of Steam achievements this time around. Hmm. And and the funny thing is that um, I'm playing the original XCOM 2 first. I'm not doing the uh, you know the major expansion, so I have to. It's a lot harder than than Resident Chosen. What was it called again? Damn, I forgot what the name of the expansion was called. Rise of the... Uh, anyways, the original vanilla XCOM 2 is much harder than the sequel. Than the uh, Not the sequel, but the expansion. Because the expansion gives you so many more toys to work with. Anyways, what have you been playing, TJ? Um, I finally started up Dying Light 2 with my, oh, God. With my uh, bud. Did I tell you about my... I didn't tell you about my negative experiences with Dying Light 2, I don't think. I, I did post it on Twitter. What happened? Oh, God. Um, Dying Light 2 has the most bad design decisions I've ever seen in a game in a very long while, and I should have known because it's Techland, and they specialize in bad game design. I'm sorry if you like Dying Light 2, but it's one of those games in which I just couldn't even get... There was just so much wrong with it. But let's let's talk about your experience first. I mean, it's... <laughs> Had a little bit of jank, but for the most Dog. part, we're jumping along revs, fighting zombies, fighting dudes, getting new weapons, exploring places, and uh, it's, uh, it's been fun. Yeah. Okay, here's why, my... Why, why groan as you... Uh, joy about it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to quote from my Twitter right now. Okay? For one, I can't imagine anyone saying, remember that malaria mechanic from Far Cry 2 that was so hated it never showed its face in any Far Cry title since? Well, let's use it for Dying Light 2. And you know how we're touting free running and parkour and like Mirror's Edge? Let's slow it down by having a crafting system so you have to stop and harvest components. And while we're at it, let's take the lockpicking minigame from Fallout and make it just so that lockpicks break when you use them too much instead of when you're trying to force a lock. Oh, and no auto-pick. That's for losers. And to make it even more irritating, let's put the ever-popular ever live drain mechanic from Lost Planet so you really can't explore at night. 
And finally, let's put in a dull faction system and a perk system similar to Cyberpunk 2077 and all the worst elements from Dead Island 2. I could not finish it, and I really wanted to play this game. But at some point, I said, it's not worth it. It's not worth the hair pulling. It's not worth it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it with a white-hot passion. When I haven't, had, I haven't had that bad of a time with it. Like I'm glad you haven't. <laughs> it's The answer to the whole meter system is just don't go out during the night. Yeah, then, but there are some missions that you have to go out at night for. Well, sure, but like that's part of the that's part of the intensity it, of those sucks. missions is dealing no. is fighting against time. Oh no, uh, no, no, no! And then on top of that, like the you don't craft in the middle of enemies. You craft. No, but you have to. to a, you have to pick up crafting elements, though. Sure, but they're not that hard to find. Yeah, but you have to stop and and get them. It's really easy to just press x a whole bunch while you're near some crafting opponents it's 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 really not that hard here's the thing this is a game in which a corporate person had a list of things that are popular in games now say you know what let's put this in the game you've seen those games in which they just put it because hey it's popular now hey you know what people like minecraft and stardew valley let's put that into fallout yeah, it hasn't been that bad of a time. It's uh, it's me and my bud jumping along rooftops, fighting zombies. Aliens Colonial Marines is fun when you're playing co-op. <laughs> running out and running out and doing all sorts of stuff, and then making it safely back to a, a settlement where we consolidate our shit, get new and better shit, and then go out again. I uh, I like the, I like the loop of uh, not only exploring. And seeing what you come across, but also like making it back to safety after uh, after an, after a hard run of like going into dark zones, fighting bigger monsters, dealing with faction stuff, and then getting out of that shit and getting back to like your settlements. I'm glad you enjoyed the game. I mean, it's not a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination. Like there are definitely parts where I feel like I should have like. I feel like the magnetism of the platforming and parkour is a little bit lacking depending on what you, what you do. But I think that's the biggest frustration I've had is like sometimes I feel like I should have hit a, grabbed a ledge and I just don't and I splat on the floor. But it's also good for a laugh when uh when uh it, when it happens to somebody else uh and uh you just watch them like just eat shit on the pavement below 50 feet below and uh i don't know it's made for some fun unintentional comedy i also like the ragdoll effects of the game because you can really do some mean stuff to people okay that's it okay there's straight up a dude that like (laughs) there's a lot of characters in the game that like their whole spiel is being a jerk and they're going to and they're going to be a jerk to you. And then you get into a fight with them and you can just cut off all their limbs and leave them like a, a just a torso on the ground, a bloody torso on the ground and leave. And uh, that's funny to me. So, Scott, you haven't been playing uh, uh, Tunic yet. What have you been playing? I let's see. I have been playing uh, Triangle Strategy, which also came out pretty recently. Um, and that is the game from Square Enix where you have the HD 2D art style 
and you have uh, three paths to choose as you're playing a very story strong centric game and it does play like Final Fantasy Tactics but it's also its own thing so you shouldn't go into it thinking this is a Final Fantasy Tactics game this is a different game but made with that kind of style of gameplay so you're familiar what to expect um, by the way you should mention that um one this is a switch game and two it's a square yeah. enix game but only in japan and everywhere else it was published by nintendo okay so that's probably why then it's not on any other platform uh, it's yet. not any other platform it's not going to be on any other platforms <laughs> it's only going to be on octopath, nintendo platforms octopath traveler came to other platforms and I know. Di- yeah, but it, but it was published by Square Enix Worldwide. This is not published by Square Enix Worldwide. Okay. All right then. Um, glad I bought it for the Switch because it's <laughs> very. Well, I mean, I, I like story-centric games, and that's what this game is. It does have good, very good battle mechanics. Uh, it has a difficulty rating if you want to do story mode to very, uh, like you know, a punishing nightmare mode. Uh, for, you know, to get a challenge. Well, I mean, first finish the game and do it because this game has a new game plus game yeah. mode, and it has more more content and more endings when you do new game plus. Yeah, that that's a very cool part. Is it has multiple endings depending on what path you choose. You'll get certain story points where it's uh your your party chooses which way they want to go, and you have to convince them. If you want to choose which way to go, um, to, to, you know, to persuade them and you use, uh, selling points that you learned when you were doing the exploration part in the town or wherever and you would talk to people and investigate what's going on and get more of the world, uh, building that, that's happening. And then you tell your party, okay, I want to go to this destination or that one. And that will affect your story path of what you're going to get. And the combat is also, like I said, tactics like where, or it is tactics, sorry. Um, and you, you use your units to advantage. Each one, each character has its own class and they can develop their weapons and abilities along that class. Uh, as they get more materials that you collect and more experience, it's and it's looking like a really fun game. Oh, I'm and you should mention there's no permadeath. Right, there's no permadeath. Um, I, I know that that's something in uh, Fire Emblem, Emblem, but I think uh, if any permadeath is happening, it'll probably be. No, there is no permadeath at, at all. I mean, I don't know if there's a, I don't know if there's a death-based, you know, thing in which they have to die sure. at that moment, but yeah, no, but you, not, not, not due to uh, what players do. So, yeah. okay. Anyways, we don't have any uh, gaming flashback, uh, and so we're going to go with some of the quick news, some of the little uh, little news bites before we get into the meat of things. Uh, the first is uh, Steam's latest hit is a co-op survival game blending Stardew Valley, Terraria, and Valheim. It's called Core Keeper, and it's sold uh, $2,500,000 in early access. Um, have you seen this game? I have. I remember it was shown during – I'm trying to remember what it was called, but it was like the uh, the positive attitude gaming thing. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember what it was called. It looks a lot like Stardew Valley, except everything's underground. <laughs> yeah, was you're it, underground. and the Wholesome it, Direct? Hmm? Was it shown during the Wholesome Direct? Yes, that's what it was. 
and it was it looked really cool. It's a lot meatier than all those uh, other games that are in Wholesome Direct. I mean, Wholesome Direct sometimes yeah. show these. They're almost micro games, you know, that are almost not even games. They're just little activities. No, this one's a full game, yeah. and it has co-op. Uh, it has co-op online. That does. That looks like a lot of fun. It's survival and, like you said, Valheim and all that stuff. And and the art is really quite lovely and very a pleasing. A lot of a lot of lighting effects. Yes, I like that. Um, so I'm definitely keeping my eyes on that game. Okay. I guess you don't do early access, do you? Um, I'd rather wait for full release. Plus, I have a lot of other games, especially this year. So I'll just focus on those that are full releases and uh, keep my eye on the, or the this one. You know, I'll have it. I have it wish listed on Steam. So when it it does go full release, and I'll I'll get it then. Uh, yeah. By the way, that reminds me. Uh, there was a bunch of hot fixes for Baldur's Gate three. So I'm starting a new game of that. I haven't gotten very far in it. I'm just fooling around with it. I want to see. How it's updated and stuff, because yeah. apparently they had um, some new additions to the game and some new classes, and I just wanted to check it out. I think they added Druid. Yeah. No, that Druid was a long time ago. What they did with Druid was they they upgraded it, and also they did a lot of prestige classes, like um, the one they have an arcane rogue now. You know, you can have a rogue with an arcane background. That stuff sounds like that. good. Uh, TJ, you were about to say something? Uh, or you're just asking? Oh, that's right. You were asking Scott if it was at the Wholesome Fest. <laughs> yeah, that's all. Okay. Anyways, uh, next item is EA isn't doing an E3 style show this year. Uh, EA Play Live isn't going to happen in 2022. Instead, EA hinted at presentations taking place throughout the year. Um, there's no E3, and I I don't know if there's ever going to be another E3. To tell you the truth, and if there is one, I hope they make it a lot more Gamescom. Like Gamescom because E3 has not been doing has not been a good show lately. Yeah, I mean last year was a was a clutter fest, and um, the fact that they're probably not going to do a physical show this year. I mean, like there are a lot of show, there are a lot of shows that are happening around E3 that are that are going ahead with the and taking on the risk of having an in-person event. Tokyo Game Show has confirmed that it is doing a physical event. Gamescom has also confirmed that it's doing a physical I've always event. wanted to go to TGS because uh, every time I've I've seen videos from TGS it's always wild and wacky. Yeah, I uh, I I have yeah, it's it's fun to see what they've got out there. I, uh, no, I mean, just I the entire mood is wild and wacky, though. It's sort of like what E3 used to be in, like, 2000. Mm-hmm. I would like to make it over there someday, too. That would be really cool. Um, but the fact of the matter is, like, E3 is among the the few that is not taking the risk, and I, I, don't, I think it's because they don't have they, – they can't afford to take the risk. Like, uh, like these other ones can, especially after last year, like, where it was, like, a lot of people agreed it was a kind of crummy digital event, because it wasn't even, like, it, it wasn't even... Microsoft was the only one who figured out what they should be doing. They said, okay, you know what, we're going to do all the game announcements on this side, and then we're going to do um, all the boring crap afterwards if you want to see the interviews with, with the developers and stuff. Yeah, that's kind of what it came down to is everybody kind of did their own different thing and it was a really cluttered and really sporadically sport. It was like it had some very sporadic quality. 
Microsoft was decent. Nintendo was decent. Uh, Devolver Digital was awful. Gearbox God, was fucking I, awful. I hated Devolver Digital was so twee and uh, no. They tried to make it into this comedy skit and I was like, it's not working. I enjoyed Devolver Digital compared to Gearbox. Gearbox was just one game announcement and then uh, and then brushing shoulders with Hollywood people at I, at on the Borderlands set. That's <laughs> everything that Gearbox amounted to. I I thought it would I thought the sketch was funny too. I thought it was just kinda parody i know that they did sell the tape and they sold the suit and whatever and i guess uh i guess the phrase there's a sucker born every minute it applies here uh you know it's like if they want to buy it uh, and somebody bought it so okay but like that but you're but you're right though it was just like so much of everything during e3 was just a, a mishmash of varying quality and and a lot of it was kind of just and and a lot of it like i really liked the games that i saw during the whole olsen direct but there were so many of them and that i couldn't keep here, track of here's the thing some of them some of them were repeating but the <laughs> the quote-unquote best or at least really ridiculous part of wholesome were you looking at the comments Everybody was getting hyper excited about everything, no matter how tiny and non consequential the game was. It was so rah rah, it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> I never like, saw anybody get excited about that kind of game ever. Ever. Not even mainstream. No, I'm talking about. I never saw them get. The, I never saw anybody get this that excited. I, I Even people with. When Breath of the Wild was announced, I didn't see people get that excited the way these people got excited. Yeah. But, like, going back to the core thing, I think it makes, like, I think it makes sense that, like, nobody wants to be, like, people aren't going to be interested in being part of E3 if E3 doesn't offer anything all that special. And not having a physical event is kind of like the one thing that I would have assumed that E3 could offer anymore that would be anything of importance if there's no if there's no physical e3 uh then there's then why put the resources forth to be part of something that's going to be of such and silly quality i I can't even remember what the pc gaming show was that's how forgettable it was i don't remember anything about it it was like the wholesome direct. It was just a rapid fire machine gun of games that. Yeah, but I don't like, even remember what the games were. Oh, I think Persona Gold. Persona one of them Gold? was a mech game, I believe. I, I think they were doing a skit where uh, Frankie was driving a mech uh-huh. or something, and the other guy was in space on a ship. I think that was the one in which they announced Persona Gold Four for for Steam. That's the only thing yeah. I think I remember. Yeah, I mean, I remember like. I remember Limited Run Games doing a thing where, like, it kind of captured the vibe that Devolver wanted, and I feel like they did a decent job for a first uh, presentation. But again, it's it's one of those things where I, there were so many games that were just thrown at us like like freaking <laughs> like freaking just trash at a wall. I couldn't tell you nothing stuck for me. Very few things just like stuck out in a way that like I I returned to them later and I was like I, I want to go back to that. Generally speaking, most of the games that I remember from E3 have just like straight up come out 
Uh, and I remember thinking, oh, yeah, I think I saw this at Wholesome Direct. The thing I remember was Breath of the Wild 2, and that's it. That's the only thing that everybody really got excited about. That's uh, that's hardly true. Metroid uh, Metroid yeah. Dread was announced, and that was like, oh, right. the thing. That, that was released. I'm talking about stuff that hasn't come out yet. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Supermassive Games teases the quarry with a full reel coming, reveal coming tomorrow, which will be uh, St. Patrick's Day. I wonder if they, they intended that to happen. Did they not know that tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day? Uh, details on the quarry are currently pretty sparse, with Supermassive Games saying it's, quote-unquote, an all-new horror experience that will come this summer. So apparently this is not one of their um, Dark Pictures Anthology games. I guess the Dark Pictures Anthology was just three games, and now they're just doing the quarry. I don't know. That's a, I like – I. I never got the vibe that the anthology, the Dark Pictures anthology was was done. I kind of just I don't know. Why didn't they call it then the Dark Pictures anthology, the Quarry? I think here's the thing. I think people are down on the Dark Pictures anthology. So if this was this might have been for the Dark Pictures anthology, but they decided not to use that um, you know that that title anymore. Just the Quarry. Is that one guy still introducing? I don't know. That's the problem. Well, we'll find out tomorrow, uh, which will be March 17th. Mm. We, I don't know anything about it yet. Um, and the Twitter announcement was very sparse. All they had was a logo. Somebody told me that this had sort of a, an in-the-woods summer camp vibe. But we'll see. Well, that was their first big type of game. Uh, that was uh, that was their first – until dawn was their first dark – Pictures Anthology game without actually being a Dark Pictures Anthology game. Mm-hmm. But we'll find out tomorrow. I, uh, I'm interested to see what they've got. I will say that I think that uh, they did a better job of the Dark Pictures Anthology in the in the, the lashes. They, they got they got better at it. Little think, hope. Uh, no House think, of Ashes. House of Ashes. I think the last one was the best of the three. Um, was I that think, uh, was that the one with the uh, soldiers? I think so. Yeah, because yeah. Man of Medan, Man of, Man of Medan, um, was, eh, you know, here's the thing. They acted like it was a big secret. I, I figured it out right away. Oh yeah, it's gas that's making him hallucinate. <laughs> Little hope just out, out stunk. Um, yeah, but I think they did a good job of, like, getting better little by little with these, and I think, uh, House of Ashes was the best among the three. Um, but I think the quarry is going to be another one of those, um, you know, horror adventure games. I we just don't know if that that British weirdo is going to introduce the game or not. Yep, we'll find out. Anyway, uh, Resident Two, Three, and Seven are coming to PS5 and Xbox Series X, and save that, it will set transfer across. So uh, they're getting the um, remastered treatment. Let's see here. Oh, yeah. So the big thing that came, they announced this like last week, but the big thing is that the safe data will be able to transfer over, which is nice. Also DLC. So you don't have to buy that stuff over again if you're going to if you're going to switch over to the PS5 or Xbox Series X. Yeah. Um, On a side note, I am not buying GTA 5 for the Xbox Series X because I already played it. You know, you, they're doing a remaster of a remaster. <laughs> Modders made what uh, what Rockstar 
was making for PS5, and I would say that they probably did it better before Take-Two shut them down legally. Um, But as far as this goes, I I haven't played through... I haven't played through Resident Evil 2. Really? Uh, I mean, I have played through it, but I haven't played through it since uh, the year it came out. And it I'm interested to return to that. And Did you play once, three? Once the up, yeah, of course I played three. I played oh, okay. all of them to completion, whether I liked them or not. <laughs> um, and I, uh, I still haven't played have, seven yet. I think Resident Evil Two is probably the one that I feel is the best out of the out of these three games so far, and I feel like it's uh, going to be really fun to go back to because there were a lot of rain effects and and other stuff in that game that were that will really benefit from the PS5's hardware. So I'm interested to sit down with this game again once these uh, once these new additions are out and ready to roll. Yeah. Uh, Stalker 2 on hold, Ukraine-based developer confirms. Its full title, Stalker 2 Heart of Chernobyl, has been altered on Steam to Stalker 2 Heart of Chernobyl, re- re- reflecting the Romanized Ukrainian version of the name rather than its original, which was the Romanized Russian version of it. Yeah, I wonder why. Yeah. Maybe they're a little bit salty about about certain events. Um, here's the thing. Stalker requires you to have a certain taste in open world FPS. I'm not sure I'm one of those. It's about as close to a uh, survival survival game as you will get with a massively, you know, uh, an open world FPS. Hmm. Yeah, I uh, I hope those guys end up okay because it's not getting better over there. And uh, I mean, as far as things have gone, safety is truly a concern. Yeah, a lot of people have had to flee, and especially them being directly in Kiev is uh, they're they're kind of in the heart of uh, of uh, well, I mean, that yeah. not to be facetious, but been- they are in the heart of trouble. Yeah, I mean, but some of those uh, missiles have been coming awfully close to Poland. Yeah. And so it's I, – I kind of – I of course, of course they put it on hold, but also I guess in this sense, take as much time as you need to just be safe. Yeah. Um, the, uh, a 51-year-old uh, American documentary maker got killed actually, and he had nothing he, – he was not covering the war. He was just there. For a different for an inter- different interview, which is sad. Uh, PlayStation gender discrimination lawsuit grows. Uh, eight more women have uh, shared their experiences as part of a gender growing discrimination lawsuit originally filed by former IT security analyst Emma Mayho in December November 2021. You know I hadn't heard of this until recently, um, and he had stuff. Here's the thing. You know you had it was it was really bad. I mean. Uh, you had male employees ranking female co- uh, female em- uh, colleagues on their appearance and sharing filthy jokes and images of women. And one woman wasn't allowed to have breastfeeding, which means uh, which means she had to stop breastfeeding earlier than she wanted to because she didn't have any privacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a this is a major bummer. I uh, I didn't know much about this until fairly recently either, but. It is another indication of uh, something I've said before, and that's the fact that the rot didn't start or end with Activision Blizzard. They were just a 
particularly heinous symptom of a of an industry-wide problem. Yeah, but the one here, Activision Blizzard, yeah, I get it. Ubisoft, I get it. Yeah, but Paradox? Really? Wow. Paradox was the one that shocked me. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it sucks. And I think the most important thing I can take away from this, and kind of like my my little bit of optimism I take out of this, is that it's gotten to the point where where people are sick of it and they're speaking out and they yeah. are being vocal, loud and vocal about it. Whereas they were just sort of coerced into silence before. And, uh, they are aided by the fact that, uh, say what you want about them, but Biden passed a law recently that, uh, there cannot be forced arbitration on sexual harassment, uh, uh, matters at a company anymore, which is to say if, uh, if an employee, chooses to take the to take a a company they work for to court they have the right to do so and cannot be forced into arbitration by the company and finally uh minecraft 1.19 snapshots adds frogs and 3d uh, 3d audio frogs and mangroves are getting their time to shine now frogs can jump swim walk on land croak and eat small magna cu- magma cubes causing frog light block to drop uh Scott, you want to explain that last one to me? Yeah, basically the the frogs can eat certain things and they'll spit out stuff. Uh, they can, for instance, eat slimes and they'll drop slime balls. And with the magma cubes, which is a monster that's in the nether, when they eat the smallest of the magma cube, they poop out a frog light. And then the frog light is something you can place as a block that's a light source. And there's three different colors, depending on the color of the frog that eats the magma cube will poop out a type of frog light. Uh, or I guess you could say drop if it's more palpable to say. But uh, they, they but I know the jokes are going to be that they, they poop frog light. Frog and poops. Can, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then and then use them as light blocks. That's just one of the things that was revealed in this snapshot. They also added sound. Uh, Three to, sound. Yeah. The goat horn, where you can put uh, copper around it, copper around it, and they'll do a random sound effect for it. They also showed the mangrove trees, which are redwood now, which is a really nice, deep, rich red color, which we've been waiting for for a long time. And it, it, it'll look great in a lot of builds. They also are adding the mud bricks, which is a kind of yellowish brown yeah, Adobe. Uh, color. Yeah, Adobe. Yeah, Adobe. Uh, they look really great. And uh, they also uh, expanded more on the skulker stuff in the caves. It spreads out a lot more. So well, wasn't that already in an earlier? Uh, wasn't that already it, an earlier in snapshot? It was, but it was like in a very small blob uh, space, and now it's oh. spread out more. So when you walk into them in the dark as you're lighting stuff up, you're going to see this on the ground, and you're going to know those skulking, screaming things are somewhere nearby. <laughs> And if you set them off, the freaking warden's going to come around and chase you because you're not apparently supposed to fight the warden. You're supposed to run. So that's going to be really difficult uh, caving now with this thing. It's going to it's going to really make it tense. Mm. So it's a really good snapshot. We're going to move on to full news now. Uh, go ahead, TJ. All right. The gold box D&D games are coming to Steam from PC Gamer. 
The Gold Box games are legendary among RPG fans of a certain age. Published by SSI in the late 80s and early 90s, they're based on numerous classic D&D settings, including Forgotten Realms, Dragonlance, Dark Sun, and Ravenloft. They're a seminal old-school RPG experience, and later this month they'll finally be available on Steam. The Gold Box games will be a part of an eight separate cl- uh, collections. Forgotten Realms, the Archive Collection 1, I have the, featuring Eye of the Beholder 1, 2, and 3. Forgotten Realms, the Archives, Collection 2, featuring Curse of the Azure Bonds, Gateway to the Savage Frontier, Hillsfar, Pools of Darkness, Pool of Radiance, Secret of the Silver Blades, Treasure of the Fr- Savage Frontier, and Unlimited Adventures. Why are there so many more in that one than every w- other one of these? Okay, here's the thing. <laughs> all of those games use the same engine, except for Hillsfar. They're all they're all just cut and paste stuff. And the thing is that also Curse of the Azure Bonds, Gateways of the Savage Frontier, Pools of Darkness, and Pool of Radiance were all one big long uh, storyline. I forgot what Secret of the Silver Blades and Treasures of the Savage Frontier were. Um, I did Unlimited Adventures a lot. That allowed you to create your own D&D modules. I remember, um, cool. I remember playing Secret of the Silver Blades, and you get to fight a vet in that one. I think. But was it part of the was it part of the original yeah, storyline? Oh, okay. Um, it's part. Yeah, it's like the third game of Pools of Radiance, Pool, Pools of Darkness. I think that's the line. No, because was. it all started with Curse of the Azure Bonds when you get yeah, that that's thing. Right. And then it went to Gateway of the Savage Frontier, Pools of Darkness, and Pools of Radiance. I remember where the storyline, um, or was it was it a trilogy? Hillsfire was the odd duck out. Yeah. <laughs> that was an action this, game. This 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 was my childhood, so I am very too. glad to see it on Steam. Well, uh, I do have we haven't, them on. Uh, we haven't listed all of them, so go ahead. Yeah, DJ. let me. I just I just had I just saw the giant list on that one. I was like, wow, that's. So many more games than these other collections. Forgotten Realms, The Archives, Collection 3, Dungeon Hack, Menzo, Baranson. I yeah, hope Dungeon I Hack right. was Dungeon Hack was basically rogue except in 3D. It was fun. Kren series, Champions of Kren, Death Knights of Kren, and the Dark uh, Queen of Kren. Dark Sun series featuring Shattered Lands and Wake of the Ravager. Ravenloft series featuring Strahd's Possession and Stone Prophet, D&D Stronghold Kingdom Simulator, and Al-Kadim, The Genie's Curse. I, I, I loved the Dark Sun and the Crim series and the D&D Stronghold. I played that game a lot. I, I try to play D&D Stronghold, but here's the thing. A, it was murder on my C64. That game was really resource-intensive and also was friggin' hard. It was it was challenging. I, I played it on my Packard, I think, at the time, and I basically start building inns, and those make, give you all the money you need to upgrade your units and and have them do whatever you know, go kill the enemies off. But still, it was, it was a three D game long before they became a thing too. Stronghold was yeah. all in three in real three D, and that's why it really it really put a strain on the on the system because it was asking them to do a lot. Anyways, go ahead, TJ. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I've heard a lot about the, oh, I guess we have more here. The Steam editions are being remastered by SNEG, a small publisher founded by former GOG employees that focuses on remastering and re-releasing old games. 
They'll feature a number of enhancements, including a special gold box launcher that will simplify the process of managing the games and moving parties between them, enhanced DOS box support, and various companion apps. By the way, before you move on, uh, yeah, so the games like Curse of the Azure Bonds and all that stuff, you could actually transfer your characters and have them, you know, the way they were. It was, a, it was before they did all that stuff. Yeah, but yeah, that's really awesome. Although, I mean, Barstale did it, but Barstale allowed you to import your Ultima 3 characters and other characters from completely different franchises. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, these collections are already available on GOG, and it's not clear how or if the Steam releases will be meaningfully different. The GOG versions don't include the auto-mapping apps, for instance, but that's not a big deal because they're freely available for download. They do include hint books, which the Steam pages don't mention, but the Steam listings also don't mention the instruction manuals, and believe me, you're pretty well hosed without those, so it's reasonable to assume they'll be included. I have never had a chance to play a gold box D&D game. Um, I've heard about them ad nauseum from uh, from from my old friends. From I'm sorry Scott. to say that, y'all. <laughs> from Scott? Yeah. You're not that much younger. I, I'm pretty sure. Anyways. I played them. Yeah. I'm going to tell you something. Okay. Here's the thing. Um, when Curse of the Azure Bonds was announced, everybody went nuts because you had all these computer role-playing games, but there were always these fictional role-playing systems like Ultima. It was the first time that... It was Dungeons & Dragons. This is actually Dungeons & Dragons. And I remember in Curse of the Azure Bonds, when you had like 40 kobolds, the game would take forever because each and every kobold had to take an action. And you'd be sitting there waiting for them to do something. Gateway to the Savage Frontier cleaned that up, thankfully. But it was yeah, torture. It, was, it could be a lot when there's like 30 kobolds or whatever, and each one is doing his turn and is doing it slowly. Uh, I, as as games, I mean, as computers got better, I remember the games would move faster. Well, it wasn't just that. Like, they just they just uh, streamlined the combat system for it. Yeah. Uh, Hillsfar was bizarre because I remember riding a horse and having to jump over logs as you went to Hillsfar and all these tasks you had to do, which were all little action mini games. It was fun, but it was bizarre. I never got to play um, the Ravenloft or Dark Sun games. Or Al- I never even heard of Alcadim the Genie's Curse, actually. Yeah. So, like, I-, I had heard of some of these in one way or another from a lot. Because, I, like, I know a lot of people that have had a chance to play these games, and everyone's experience is different depending on which ones they played because there were so many of these. Um, I am interested in giving them a go, if only because, like, even if there are frustrations, even if there's some very archaic design, and like you mentioned with the kobolds, ta- the kobolds taking turns, I uh, I enjoy like the the historical experience of checking out stuff like this. Uh, getting Fallout One working on uh, Steam was like a difficult was one of the more difficult things I've done with uh, with old games on modern systems. Um, I know there are workarounds, and I know that on GOG they they do that stuff for you. But getting it working on Steam t- requires some 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 file work and uh, messing with some text documents. So I am uh, I am interested to see this in that same fashion, where like Fallout Fallout is a painful game to play now. It's 
it's it's got a lot of design things that are just like wow so that's the way they did it back then and uh and it made me appreciate like further games all the more i uh i am interested to see how these uh how uh, i i kind of want like somebody to point me to what the best one is but i doubt i'll get a consensus on that yeah. i had to behold it was the first fps like a year before doom and no one seems to know that. And it was looking at it now, it's like, wow, they had that before Doom in 1991. That's incredible. Mm. So it's uh, it's really cool, and it's really cool to see these put in a better, put in a fashion where people can enjoy them all the more. Because I know that there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of good memories tied to a lot of these games. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see how these improve from the GOG version. Anyways, uh, we're moving on to the next item. Go ahead, Scott. Okay. Uh, let's see. Elden Ring described as start of a new franchise. This is from Eurogamer. It sounds like Elden Ring is getting a sequel thanks to the enormous sales of, of sales success of the first. As astonishing an astonishing 12 million copies of Elden Ring have been sold in just over two weeks, including one million in Japan. Publisher Bandai Namco and developer From Software confirmed today. And already there's talk for what's next for Elden Ring. In a press release from the two companies, Elden Ring sales are described as fantastic start for a new franchise. Does this hint at Elden Ring spinoffs outside of video games, an Elden Ring film, TV show, or anime, or Elden Ring boss lurking in your kitchen? It's hard to overstate just how well Elden Ring has sold. European sales published yesterday showed it had earned the best launch for any game not in existing series since Ubisoft's The Division in 2016. Ahead of launch, Bandai Namco has projected 4 million sales of Elden Ring by the end of March. Instead, it has sold triple that with several weeks still to go. I find that interesting that they're saying that this is a new franchise because I thought... It's a new franchise. Okay. This is a new franchise. It's it's the same type of game that Dark Souls was, but it's a it's a new franchise, which is written by George R. R. Martin. And apparently all the Demi Lords um have his initials in their name. His initials in their name, all of them. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't be surprised about that. I was yeah. wondering how much he had written versus um the other writer. He wrote the lore, I'm pretty sure. You know? Oh. Um and then you have <laughs> Go ahead. It was a matter where he designed the backstory and the backbone of everything, and then it was uh, translated over to Japanese, and then it was translated back over to English. And I do know that for a fact uh, there are some oddities in uh, in that process because of the fact that it went basically from English to Japanese back to English. Uh, I would think uh, like that if they already have it in English, why go back mm-hmm. from Japanese? I don't know. Because, because essentially what George R. R. Martin did – was he wrote a he wrote the skeleton he wrote the backbone, and then he uh, gave he gave it to From Software to and then they fleshed it out into okay. this entire world, and then it was translated back into English as they as they localized. Yeah. Um, also, in related news, uh, speedrunners have gotten under half an hour for that game. Good for them. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad they're enjoying the game. I could I, never speed run a game, even if I wanted, yeah, even if I, I could. We're... I have a bandit in the game that doesn't know magic, but they have lots of dexterity, lots of uh, lots of uh, strength, and lots of uh, arcane. People have and... found that magic 
If you yeah, uh, certain magic bill just breaks the game. This is a great game for magic. That said, like you still have to like you still have to go have these on how you're going to use your health flask because it, if you're going to use your health flask for magic, you have to split off uh, charges that would be used to heal you to to give charges to another form of the flask that restore your magic. Um, you also lose stamina and have to stand still while you're casting. But yes. that said, um, it, this is a game where like it's extremely rewarding to be a magic user. Yeah, and apparently it was for Dark Souls too, but not to this degree. I did, I did see somebody post a, a GIF online or a little animation, whatever, where they were mage, they were casting spell at a at a boss. I guess it was a boss, and they just annihilated the boss. But the boss was in the middle of his animation attack and pounded into the mage, so they both died at the same time. So you got the image, you died, and then it says, uh, fall, uh, "Fallen lore felled" or something, or "Great enemy felled." <laughs> so it's just like. It was sad. It's like you win, but now nah, you lost. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I've been having a lot of fun with this game. Like, there are certain parts where, like this, where I have like been like, "This is typical from software bullshit," and, yeah. it ma- and it made me mad. There's a chest that you can get early in the game that transports you to a cave that has these giant shrimp that shoot homing projectiles at you. And uh, I hate them, and I hate that place, and I hate that From Software put that in the game in a way that like I can disc- that you can just trip into it. Um, but frustrations like that aside, I have really been enjoy really been enjoying the the adventure, and I have built a bandit that has uh, an ice rapier in one hand uh, that can fire off the tip and do uh, frostbite damage. Uh, and then I have a dragon head in, in my other hand that uh, I can use as like a gauntlet, but also it can like spew a giant like fire, like a bla- an explosion of fire that just coats an area for a while. And like I feel like it, it is so cool the kinds of uh, things they've put in that game as far as like weapons, as far as lore, because it's fun to just. I've had definitely like at least five moments where I stopped in, in what I was doing and lined up a screenshot because the the game looks so gorgeous at so many different points. You know, I'm just thinking, I wonder how you would have reacted to Gary Gygax's uh, Tomb of Horrors. I don't know. I, uh, just, just I don't know put, much about that. Put your hand in the statue's mouth. Don't worry, it'll be just fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like and everybody has their own thing. I know a lot of people have been leaning into this one katana called the, the Moon Veil. Um, apparently that's pretty strong. I have found that uh, my my fire and ice combination is very fun. Um, I really want to go back and make a magic build because it does seem like it's so it so much caters to that kind of uh, build. Um, hell, there's a sword that requires 50 intelligence, which if you're not a mage, you, why the hell would you have 50 intelligence? Um, that's a, that's a massive stat to boost. Okay. I'm pre- Go ahead. Apparently that sword is like, you can, you can fight. It's the, it's called the sword of, of, uh, what did it, what is it called? 
it's it sounds some it sounds like something cool, but basically it, it wields uh, night magic and it can fire off like a star beam, and then it can also like shoot a wave of fire out of it, and it's ridiculously powerful. Cool. I haven't played it yet. Have you played it yet, uh, Scott? Elden Ring, yes. Oh, okay. I've been exploring it, and uh, as uh, TJ has mentioned, there is uh, <laughs> plenty of that from software bullshit where some enemies just totally just cremate you, and and you know, just oh my god, and it's like, am I just running from everything now because I just can't fight anything? <laughs> What's your build? Uh, I went with samurai. I, I I like the idea of a katana and a bow uh, that you know makes sense. And so, like, some, some enemies are easy, like the zombies are easy enough to take care of. But there are just some things where it's like, I, I feel like I just have to get good or whatever. And then there's other stuff where it's just I'm running because, like, I get taken out in one or two hits and I can't seem to dodge anything. They they seem to want you to parry or block and parry instead of uh, dodging. But uh, it's, it's, you know, it's something to figure out, I guess. And so it's in the place is huge it's just giant enormous and going around exploring the things and it's very i mean i guess there is a lot of story but it's again as we as i know it's been mentioned you have to kind of put those pieces together yourself as you meet different people as you find different items and you're reading the background of what's happened and it's again it feels like one of those post-apocalyptic fantasy settings where everything's in ruins and I guess you're just trying to piece it all together. At least in this one, you're putting together a Elden Ring. Uh, I I mean, it feels a little Lord of the Rings, but I I don't know. (laughs) I I have to get further into it as I, I guess, conquer the uh, ring fragment bearers and then put together the ring. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do after that point. I don't know. I uh, I really like the settings, but I also think that one of them is the most ridiculous thing. Like, you start out right, you start out in Limgrave, and it's this place. It's verdant fields and this giant, like, glowing tree overlooking it all. You go to you go north to Lyernia of the Lakes, and it's like a magic, like a fallen magic city o- overlooking like a, a foggy forest and bog, and it's still kind of gorgeous. You like go underneath the world, and there's a starry area that's like that's like part of a of a legendary mythological city inside of a cave, and that's beautiful. And then there's Caled, which is like you literally jump a fence into it, and it's hell. It's it's you go from verdant fields to just dead, angry, red skied Rotville with giant with giant, terrible crows and and T-Rex dogs and zombies that like cause rot to you. And it's hell. It's like it's just this this patch of hell sitting in the middle of this otherwise beautiful land. I agree. That's a pretty horrific uh, nightmare vision there. Um, and I, I love that the game has that kind of diversity to see when you go there and just I, I think I saw a meme saying things to do in Caled leave. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Caled is Caled is like 
it's kind of the poison town of this particular game, but an entire region. It is also where that cave with the aforementioned shit, shitty little shrimp people that fire off the projectiles are. So I double hate it. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's very different, but it's also like different in a way that's like, oh, that's neat. <laughs> I, I, I want to go back. I, I want to go back somewhere else that is not here. <laughs> Anyways, uh, next week we'll probably all be talking about Tunic. <laughs> By the way, I, I forgot to mention, you know, they kept on saying, Tunic's not going to be on Game Pass. Tunic's not going to be on Ga- Tunic's on Game Pass. <laughs> mm-hmm. In case in case you're on Game Pass and you're not sure you want to play it. Um, so far, the reviews for Tunic have been raving, so um, it's probably a safe bet right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been hearing from a lot of people that like they they went in expecting like peer on Zelda, but like they came, but as it went forward, like it's actually kind of more Dark Souls ish. Yeah. Um, not quite. Here's the thing: enemies are easy to take care of, but if they get in a group, then you're in trouble, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are some stronger enemies. I remember encountering them in the demo. These two. I don't know. They had like a laser gun or something. Yeah, they don't appear in the beginning. Don't worry about that. <laughs> that was just a demo. <laughs> that was just a demo saying, "Look what could happen to you." Well, I, I guess it's 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 safe to say it's more forgiving than a Souls-like game, but it doesn't have that figure it out kind of thing. Yeah, it's uh, forgiving with combat, but the rest of the game is not forgiving. You better enjoy doing puzzles because there's and it's not puzzle puzzles, you know, like. Like, like, uh, oh, what was the name of that game? Uh, The Witness? It's not like that. No, it's more like environmental puzzles and um, logic puzzles and, you know, nothing that's, it's just, if you want to go to A to B, you have to figure out how to get there, you know? Right. And then you have the fact that you can't understand the language and uh, you have to create your own little uh, NES manual. That is adorable. I, I was yeah. just reading up on that instruction manual mechanic. Yeah. It looks exactly uh, like an NES manual, too. Uh, and it looks like you actually, like, find pages for this thing, and it helps you along your journey. Yep. And in that way, it's like Alan Wake. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but I've also heard – but there, I've also seen, like, the it, – it, one of the best parts of it and one of the most like souls like parts of it is that like it makes you feel proud for surviving a really, really hard battle. You like look back at a giant behemoth and, and you like feel just like an adorable fox in a tunic did that. And me. Yeah. <laughs> and the entire aesthetic is like you're playing on a on with felt, you know? It's sort of a Kirby ish in that way. Anyways, look for our show notes at gamingpodcast.net. Along with industry news at our Gaming History articles, we enjoy if you have exclusive comments at our blog at GamingPodcast.net. Also, hit us up at Facebook.com slash GamingPodcast. Subscribe to us at iTunes, leave the iTunes comments, and we fix the comment section so you can post again on GamingPodcast.net again because we fixed that finally. Anyways, you can find me on Twitter at Jonah Falcon. You can find me at Johnny Chugs. You can find me at Shard Moore. And we will talk to you next week, and it'll be all about the tunic. See you next week. <laughs> Happy gaming, everyone. Have fun, be cool, play games, y'all.